welcome to Even Darker. Wow, glad you're here. So, I'm not alone in my fascination of fairy tales and myths. In each episode, our storyteller will read us a story. Then I, Regina, will review the points of the fairy tale I found most interesting, dark, or downright unforgivable. If possible, we will share with you the suspected origin of the tale, hence, even darker. Take heed, these stories are the original or early content, not the Big Mouse versions. No shade on him, but this is not for the young. For our second episode, I chose Sleeping Beauty. The title is Sun, Moon, and Talia. It comes from the country of Naples, and the year it was published was 1634. Because I would murder the author's name, I am uh, plugging in a recording from a pronunciation software. He was born 1575 and died 1632. Our storyteller today is Jay Stinnett. And now for our story. Sun, Moon, and Talia. There once lived a great lord who was blessed with the birth of a daughter, whom he named Talia. He sent for the wise men and astrologers in his land to predict her future. They met, counseled together, and cast her horoscope, and at length they came to the conclusion that she would incur great danger from a splinter of flax. Her father, therefore, forbade any flax, hemp, or any other material of that sort to be brought into his house so that she should escape the predestined danger. One day, when Talia was grown into a young, beautiful lady, she was looking out a window when she beheld passing that way an old woman who was spinning. Talia, never having seen a distaff or a spindle, was pleased to see the twirling spine and she was so curious as to what the thing was that she asked the old woman to come to her. Taking the distaff from her hand, she began to stretch the flax. Unfortunately, Talia ran a splinter of flax under her nail and she fell dead upon the ground. When the old woman saw this, she became frightened and ran down the stairs and is running still. As soon as the wretched father heard of the disaster which had taken place, he had them, after having paid for this tub of sour wine with casts of tears, lay her out one of his, in one of his country mansions. There they seated her on a velvet throne under a canopy of brocade. Wanting to forget all and to drive from his memory his great misfortune, he closed the doors and abandoned forever the house where he had suffered this great loss. After a time, it happened by chance that another king was out hunting and passed that way. One of his falcons escaped from his hand and flew into the house by way of one of the windows. It did not come when it called, so the king had one of his 
party knock at the door, believing the palace to be inhabited. Although he knocked for a length of time, nobody answered, so the king had them bring a vintner's ladder, for he himself would climb up and search the house to discover what was inside. Thus he climbed up and entered, and looked in all the rooms and nooks and corners, and was amazed to find no living person there. At last he came to the salon, and when the king beheld Talia, who seemed to be enchanted, he believed that she was asleep, and he called her, but she remained unconscious. Crying aloud, he beheld her charms and felt his blood course hotly through his veins. He lifted her in his arms and carried to her to a bed where he gathered the first fruits of love. Leaving her on the bed, he returned to his own kingdom, where, in the pressing business of the realm, he for a time thought no more about this incident. Now, after nine months, Talia delivered two beautiful children—one boy and another a girl. In them could be seen two rare jewels, and they were attended by two fairies, who came to that place and put them at their mother's breast. Once, however, they sought the nipple, and not finding it, began to suck on Talia's fingers, and they sucked so much that the splinter of flax came out. Talia awoke as if from a long sleep, and seeing beside her two priceless gems, she held them to her breast and gave them the nipple to suck. And the babies were dearer to her than her own life. Finding herself alone in that palace with two children by her side, she did not know what had happened to her, but she did notice that the table was set, and food and drink was brought in to her, although she didn't see any attendants. In the meanwhile, the king remembered Talia, and saying that he wanted to go hunting, he returned to the palace and found her awake with the two cupids of beauty. He was overjoyed and told Talia who he was and how he had seen her and what had taken place. When she heard this, their friendship was knitted with tighter bonds, and he remained with her for a few days. After that time, he bade her farewell. And promised to return soon and take her with him to his kingdom. And he went to his realm, but he could not find any rest. And at all hours he had in his mouth the names of Talia and of Sun and Moon. Those were the names of the two children. And when he took rest, he called either one or the other of them. Now the king's wife began to suspect. That something was wrong from the delay of her husband while hunting and hearing him name continually, Talia, Sun, and Moon. She became hot with another kind of heat than the sun's. <clears throat> Sending for the secretary, she said to him, "Listen to me, my son. You are living between two rocks, between the post and the door, between the poker and the grate. If you will tell me." With whom the king, your master, and my husband is in love, I will give you treasures untold. And if you hide the truth from me, you will never be found again, dead or alive. The man was terribly frightened. Greed and fear blinded his eyes to all honor and to all sense of justice. And he related to her all things, calling bread bread, wine wine.
Hearing how matters stood, sent the secretary to Talia in the name of the king, asking her to send the children, for he wished to see them. Talia, with great joy, did as she was commanded. Then the queen, with a heart of Medea, told the cook to kill them and to make them into several tasteful dishes for her wretched husband. But the cook was tender-hearted, and seeing these two beautiful golden apples, felt pity and compassion for them, and he carried them home to his wife and had her hide them. In their place, he prepared two lambs into a hundred different dishes. And when the king came, the queen with great pleasure had the food served. The king ate with delight, saying, By the life of Lanfusa, how tasteful this is! Or, by the soul of my ancestors, this is good! Each time she replied, Eat, eat, you are eating of your own. For two or three times, the king paid no attention to this repetition. But at last, seeing that the music continued, he answers, I know perfectly well what I'm eating of my own because you have brought nothing into this house. And growing angry, he got up and went to a villa at some distance from his palace to solace his soul and to alleviate his anger. In the meanwhile, the queen, not satisfied of the evil already done, sent the secretary and told him to go to the palace and bring Talia back, saying that the king longed for her presence and was expecting her. Talia departed as soon as she heard these words, believing that she was following the commands of her lord, for she greatly longed to see her light and joy, knowing not what was preparing for her. She was met by the queen whose face glowed with the fierce fire burning inside her and looked like the face of Nero. She addressed her thus, Welcome, Madam Busybody. You're a fine piece of goods, you ill weed, who are enjoying my husband. So you are the lump of filth, the cruel bitch that caused my head to spin. Change your ways, for you are welcome in purgatory, while I will compensate you for all the damage you have done to me. Talia, hearing these words, began to excuse herself, saying that it was not her fault because the king, her husband, had taken when she was drowned in sleep. But the queen would not listen to her excuses and had a large fire lit in the courtyard of the palace and commanded that Talia should be cast into it. The lady, perceiving the matters had taken a bad turn, knelt before the queen and begged her to allow her at least to take off her garden, the garment she wore. The queen, not for pity of the unhappy lady, but to gain also those robes which were embroidered with gold and pearls, told her to undress, saying, You can take off your clothes. I agree. Talia began to take them off, and with every item that she removed, she uttered a loud scream. Having taken off her robe, her skirt, the bodice, and her shift, she was on the point of removing her last garment when she uttered a scream louder than the rest. They dragged her towards the pile to reduce her to lie ashes, which would be used to wash Charon's breeches. The king suddenly appeared and finding the spectacle, demanded to know what was happening. He asked for his children and his wife, reproaching him for his treachery, told him that she had had them slaughtered and served to him as meat. 
When the wretched king heard this, he gave himself up to despair, saying, Alas, then I myself am the wolf of my own sweet lambs. Why did these my veins not uh, know the fountains of their own blood? You renegade bitch, what evil deed is this which you have done? Be gone, you shall get your desert as the stumps, and I will not send such a tyrant-faced one to the Colosseum to do her penance. And so saying, he commanded that the queen should be cast into the fire, which she was preparing for Talia, and the secretary would, because he had the handle for this bitter play and the weaver of this wicked plot. He was going to do the same with the cook, whom he believed to be the slaughterer of his children, when the man cast himself at his feet, saying, In truth, my lord, for such a deed there should be nothing else than a pile of living fire, and no other help than a spear from behind, and no other entertainment than the twisting and turning within the blazing fire. And I should seek no other honor than to have my ashes, the ashes of a cook, mixed up with the queen. But this is not the reward that I expect for having saved the children, in spite of the gall of that bitch who wanted to kill them and to return to your body that which was of your own body. Hearing these words, the king was beside himself. He thought he was dreaming. He could not believe his own ears had heard. Therefore, turning to the cook, he says, if it is true that you have saved my children, be sure that I will take you away from the turning the spit and I will put you in the kitchen of this breast to turn and twist as you like all my desires, giving you such a reward as shall enable you to call yourself a happy man in this world. While the king spoke these words, the cook's wife, seeing her husband's need, brought forth the children, sun and moon, before their father. And he never tired at playing the game of three with his wife and his children, making a mill will of kisses, now one with the other and then the other. He gave a generous reward to the cook. He made him a chamberlain. He married Talia to wife, and she enjoyed a long life with her husband and her children, thus experiencing the truth of the proverb, those whom fortune favors find good luck even in their sleep. This is the first case I've seen in a fairy tale where illegal pot, sorry, bad joke, but I had to do it, seeing the hemp being outlawed. I found it truly interesting how important horoscopes were, historically speaking. I just found from research on the Nazis, including Hitler, uh, they didn't do anything without an astrological chart being drawn up. That was new information to me. But back to our fairy tale. In this version, the old woman uh, is doing some roadside spinning and she gets invited into the castle, which everybody dropped the ball. No one notices that, you know, this is being brought in. Talia gets the splinter, boom, drops dead. Have you noticed people just drop dead in these stories? Uh, my favorite line thus far is, old woman was so frightened, she ran down the stairs and is still running. There's a story right there. The next part of the story that I found interesting was line 
part of the line saying, having paid for this tub of wine with casks of tears, please, if you understand what this means, uh, leave it on our voicemail to enlighten us. And I'll try and play it in a future episode. I think it just means his grief mixed with a lot of wine. The king came up with a plan. The plan being a big departure from the common story. I guess we'd have to rename it Sitting Beauty. So he sat her on a throne. Interesting. No mistaking her for anything other than a princess, I guess. Um, Then we have not her father, but another king, lots of kings, um, he comes in hunting and uh, and all that. Well, him lifting her in his arms, he carried her to the bed where he gathered the first fruits of love. The first fruits. Well, now, who knew we would be visiting a near miss of necrophilia? And like all good rapists, the king leaves her there and splits. Nine months later, Talia has twins. Why is it always twins? I'll have to research and see if I can find a significance for it. Anyone listening, again, if you know anything, please leave us a voicemail and I'll try and play the answer for our audience. All right. The children are named Sun and Moon. Since Talia was asleep, then did the fairies name the babies? And now we learn the children are being cared for by the fairies, placing the babies at Talia's nipples and whatnot, till the sucking of the finger happens, and voila, Talia is awake. A mother lost her maidenhood, and her father left her alone with no servants in a castle. Thank goodness for a magic food table. Jeez. And I have a problem when there are loud noises when I get up in the morning. I think my head would have exploded if I woke up to Talia's reality. Meanwhile, the king remembered Talia. Wow, what a guy. Going back, he's a dad and happy, but not about to tell his wife, the queen. He starts obsessing on Talia and the children. So the queen, she's a gem. The story references Medea a fascinating character in Greek mythology. Let's save her for when we do miss. So after threatening the secretary, a kind of cake or death scenario, forgive the Eddie Izzard reference, um, she sends him to the secretary to tell Talia to have the babies come visit. The king wants to see them. I did a deep dive on Lanfusa from what the king called out when he was eating what the queen, his queen, believed to be the twins, sun and moon, the dishes made from them. Seems uh, Lanfusa was known for her cruelty against Christians. Maybe we can revisit her in upcoming mythology segments. The reference about the king's queen looking like the face of Nero might have been in reference to how Nero was thought of at the time as either a mad or outright evil emperor. That was quite the tell-off from the queen when she met Talia. You ill weed. Well, weeds are hard to get rid of, so. Okay, the next part that I became a little confused with was when uh, the queen was going to kill Talia, throw her into the fire. Um, She was trying to delay 
by stripping slowly and screaming out between each piece. That's what I understood. And I reread it a couple times. And what about the lye ashes? I know lye to be soap, but I didn't know that you could get that from ash um, to wash carons, carrions, I don't know, Sharon's britches, the britches. Is that our queen or the king's name? I don't know. Um, the rest of the story, right? King comes in, thank goodness. Queen is returned to her family. Big punishment, I guess. Uh, Cook reveals he saved the children. Everyone is happy. Leaving us with the proverb, those whom fortune favors find good luck even in their sleep. I wish that for all of us. As promised, now for even darker. Prosetta. The so-called Lori Sturluson is the earliest attestation of the Scandinavian version of Brunhild's life, dating back to around 1220. After Sigurd kills the dragon Fafnir, he rides up to a house on a mountain, inside of which he finds a woman sleeping wearing armor. He cuts the armor from her, and she awakes up and says that she was a Valkyrie named Hild. But he, she is called Brunhild. Sigurd then rides away. Later, Sigurd brings Gunnar to Brunhild's brother Atli to ask for Brunhild's hand in marriage. Brunhild lives on a mountain called Hindersfall, where she is surrounded by a wall of flame. Atli tells them that Brunhild will only marry a man who rides through the through the flame. Gunnar is unable to do this, and Sigurd switches shapes with him, riding through the flames. Sigurd then weds Brunhild as Gunnar, but places a sword between the two of them on their wedding night. The next morning, he gives Brunhild a ring from the horde of Nibelungen, and Brunhild gives him a ring in return. Gunnar and Sigurd then return to their own shapes and return to the the court of Gunnar's father, Juki. Sometime later, Brunhild and Gudrun quarrel while washing their hair in the river. Brunhild says that she does not want the water to pass through Gunnar's hair to touch her own because her husband, Gunnar, is braver. Gudrun replies that Sigurd's deed of killing the dragon, but Brunhild says that only Gunnar had dared to ride through the wall of flame. Then Gudrun reveals to Brunhild that Sigurd was the one who rode through the wall, producing Brunhild's ring as proof. Brunhild then encourages Gunnar to kill Sigurd, which eventually he does. Once Sigurd is dead, Brunhild kills herself and is burned on the same pyre as Sigurd. It is possible that Snorri's account of the quarrel between Brunhild and Gudrun derives from a lost Edic poem.
Sometime later, Brunhild and Gudrun quarrel while washing their hair in the river. Brunhild says that she does not want the water that passes through Gudrun's hair to touch her because her husband, Gulnar, is braver. Gudrun replies with Sigurd's deeds of killing the dragon, but Brunhild says that only Gunnar had dared to ride through the wall of flame. Then Gudrun re reveals to Brunhild that Sigurd was the one who rode through the wall, producing Brunhild's ring as proof. Brunhild then encourages Gunnar to kill Sigurd, which eventually he does. Once Sigurd is dead, Brunhild kills herself and is burned on the same pyre as Sigurd. It is possible that Snorri's account of the quarrel between Brunhild and Gudrun derives from a lost Eddie poem. The possible origins of Sleeping Beauty might be traced as far back as pictorial representations in the Ramson carving in Sweden created around 1000 AD. The origins quite possibly are even older, 5th century poems contained in the Elder Edda relate episodes from the Volsung legend. The Royal Library of Denmark has a manuscript of the saga and dates around 1400. Jay read the Volsunga saga which is shorter. I'd like to apologize for uh, murdering the Swedish language, but um, in regards to the story that Jay read, I hear hints of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, it may, it might've been clearer if we'd used the longer version, but um, I found the shorter one quite good too. It's kind of interesting how hair washing could be the downfall of a man's life, right? Two women washing their hair and end up discussing things. Hope you enjoyed this podcast of Even Darker. Please give us a follow. I look forward to hearing your voicemails and including them in future shows. I would also like to thank Jay Stinnett for being our storyteller. That was great. Even Darker can be found on Anchor and Spotify podcast platforms, and I hope it will soon be available on all the others. Thank you.